Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. We got to know Lisa Fenton a little bit in part one of my interview with her sitting outside in a field with me at the Bushcraft Symposium in Alberta, Canada, which happened before the pandemic, by the way. It's so wonderful to bring a sense of academia to a field of study long dominated by testosterone-laden Jeremiah Johnson wannabe men bent on proving out their axe-throwing, fire-starting, and shelter-building skills. And doesn't it just take a woman to bring in the intellectual side of a skill set everyone seems to think you need to be rough and rugged to carry out? Of course, in reality, it's a woman in the movie Jeremiah Johnson that shows the big tough mountain man how to actually catch food in the form of a grouse for dinner. But I digress, which I do a lot. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Lisa did her actual PhD thesis on bushcraft skills and their relation to indigenous cultures. And here in part two, we really get into the meat of the matter as far as what these kind of skills actually mean to us all, to life itself. These are the words of Lisa Fenton. That relationship with the natural world that simultaneously develops the person surely is something we can't ignore and when we have this thing that we call bushcraft and survival skills and primitive technologies which all you know share similarities they're, they're in the same family I'm still bleeding and you're still needing mustard in this way if you stay here you will find fear love can't that's the same with bushcraft you know you can't learn it by focusing on what kind of knife you have or what books you have or what have you at the end of the day you've got to go and apply it and that is where the magic really is that's where the alchemy is that's where the hardship is and that's where the learning is I've asked you to do this interview outside, so we're outside. And isn't that breeze that just came up yes, wonderful? Right. I was thinking the exact same thing as right. we were talking. Yeah, oh, that was nice. But it's a case in point because yeah. I'm doing my job right now of interviewing you, which is a creative expression of mine. You're, create, you're expressing yourself creatively with your ideas and these concepts. But all the while, because we're sitting in a field, 
thankfully away from the mosquito zone, <laughs> um, we're being bombarded with breezes and heat smells. from the sun and smells. And it's why sounds I, of the wind going through the, the five senses, which yeah. was that point that I on a tangent made. Yeah. In my thing was that this is the kind of place that we're sitting, we're literally sitting in a field. So all five, now we're, we're embroiled in a conversation. Okay, we're focused. Um, were we just to, to be silent, it is, you know, with the exception of maybe taste, unless I chew on a piece of grass right now, all five senses are just yep. being affected and lit up. Yeah. And so the idea of primitive skills and earth skills afford us that opportunity yep. to experience even that, the deeper... Uh, side of connecting to nature that we we don't know anything about. Yeah, it, it made me smile when you said about the senses because um, you know everything you'd said, as I said before, everything you said in your presentation was just like, oh, bang, bang, bang. That's all the stuff. The oh, no. <laughs> no, but it was, um, but it was great because you do it in your way, and it's um, and you set the baseline for touched on everything for that your, needed to for be For your touched. intelligence, as far as that's okay. <laughs> I'll put down the shovel now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but going back through, when I had to sort of delve through the history, and the more modern history is you get into these sort of survival manuals which were drawn from ethnographies that were drawn from indigenous knowledge directly by anthropologists, and then the army paid them to go do this. So mm. then the army, um, the various militaries took that information and turned it into survival manuals, the first survival manuals you know, around the 1940s. But at the beginning of all of these, there's often, you know, there's a foreword or a prologue or whatever you call it. Almost in every one, it talked about not just survival, but this idea of, and these skills give man, because you know, it was man, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything. Mankind. Man, man confidence. Well, no, because it was very military, so it was literally men. You know, it gives man the confidence, the self-sufficiency, and that it stimulates all the senses. And this comes up in almost every survival manual. And then you go, but they mean it in not just a survival sense, but in a well-being sense. And it makes oh, us feel good. Oh, they mean it more than good. pragmatically. Yeah, it oh, makes yeah. us feel good. So there's this other side. Even these military guys. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you have the kind of woodcraft, uh, like youth movement stuff, you know, often touch on that. Very often this mention of the five senses. and I didn't and know that the hint at the sixth sense and that those, as you said, as those things combine, give us a, another sense, which we can't quite put our finger on what it is. And I agree it's there. It's certainly when I'm outside, um, my ability to be more alert changes. Like you, your consciousness changes and you must have had this with doing survival stuff to really quite an extreme of how your consciousness changes with lack of food, needing to hunt, wanting to hunt. You wouldn't want to hunt if you were well-fed. You just, and how you notice so much more in the landscape because you're hungry mm-hmm. and you need to notice. And it just happens. You know, actually, I would, I would submit that also maybe a slightly sort of downside to that is because you need to eat, what you noticed actually pertains to that. Yes. You start yeah. actually focusing. Yep. So now you're in nature. Yep. It's not like we walk around in nature going... Yes, I noticed that a, d- a dragonfly landed on that branch behind my head. You know, yes. no, I'm hungry. I'm noticing that there's a change in in the trees over there. I think there might be some water over there, mm-hmm. and I'm hungry, and I'm hoping that water means food. So actually, I find that the the hunger side of things or the thirsty side of things begins to drive your focus. Yeah, totally. And you actually, maybe this is what I'm. I'm this is I'm, I'm riffing, but. Yeah. Maybe what you end up doing is you take your five senses and you, you on purpose, 
combine them to focus towards what you need and the directive of food and water. Did this show up in your study of primitive skills and bushcraft? I mean, you're already saying, yes, it did in the early manuals. Did it show up elsewhere? I'd say it was a strong theme throughout everything. Really? Um, Yeah. So, you know, in the historical documents, I mean, you could even go right back to the, the early explorers, you know, talking about... Uh, the indigenous peoples that they utilized in order to, you know, if we talk about Australia, they couldn't get more than four days without indigenous knowledge because they didn't know how to get water from the landscape. And in those journals, they will often talk about the aborigines and their senses. This whole notion of our senses changing when we go outside is through almost everything I was reading. It's a common thread, common theme. Yeah, Yeah, because people teach sort of sensory well, awareness. Well, I'm, that I'm, I'm interrupting you, I get that, yeah, and I apologize for that, no, but, no, but you, you just brushed up against something that actually is starting to become a bit of a problem because it, after a while, everything becomes, I'll just use really loose terms, mm-hmm. very woohoo, very airy-fairy, yeah. very, it's all about, And detached you know, from the reality. Mm-hmm. Um, Their fingers are not getting dirty. Yeah. We're, they're sitting in a field and allowing nature to fill them. I, yeah. I do that, I force bathe all the time, regular. that is my meditation is, I don't have a mantra, I don't have Anything, I just go and I sit in nature. Yeah, I'm the same. And what you say is actually really important, and uh, and I actually kind of brushed on this at a conference where it was a Nature Connections conference, and people are doing some really good work out there looking at the importance of nature connection and how connected to nature people feel. And there's these nature connection scales, and but I and we talk about forest bathing and mm. walk and talk therapies, and this is all great. We're going in the right direction. Nature is good for us. We need it. It helps us to feel better. Not everyone, you know, for some people, nature's terrifying, awful, and horrible. Mm-hmm. But what I'm trying to get to is that, God, what am I trying to get to? It's gone on my head. Mm-hmm. Um, that, 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 it's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, um, well, I'll interrupt you while you think yeah, about on, that. When you, when, you, when you said, you know, not, not for everyone, for some people, it's, uh, uh, it's terrifying and horrible. My sister. Yeah. I, I remember being in a canoe with her, and we're looking at the boreal forest from the canoe, and I said, oh. I just want to go in there and get lost in there. It was dark. It looked, uh, it looked like a, a mystical enchanted forest with a dark moss floor and this black spruce. Oh, wow. And my sister paused and she goes, that looks horribly intimidating. Yeah. I would never, I don't even want to get out of the canoe. And, I, and then I knew I, was, I must be adopted because <laughs> I, well, you're not my sister. <laughs> what? And, you know, but then I, I have to give that to her and understand that... that this but this levels this of engagement. Nature connectedness, yeah. Yeah, what I was going to say was process. So mm. there's forest bathing's great and it's nice, and there's scientific studies to show how people, uh, their brains change, they relax, they're less stressed, their attention improves. But there's also a lack of process in a lot of these things, and I think that's what gives bushcraft, primitive skills, the potential, the untapped, currently untapped potential, because you're engaged in a dirty fingernails way in the natural environment. And kids, I mean, kids love, you know, even the kids that think they don't love it, when you actually get them out and, and they start to build confidence, they just love it. It's just inherent, isn't it? And, and to go out and lay down in a field might be really nice for them, but to go out and learn how to make a bow and arrow or make a fire or just what, poke a fire. Oh my gosh, you know, you what know, you're saying, uh, this is a revelation to me, that the idea of process, it's a good word, yeah. because you're right, there is a difference between laying out in a field, 
and digging something up. There is process involved there. I would often, if I asked, a woman asked me, how, how do I get my three-year-old daughter, you know, into, I said, do you have a backyard? She said, I said, well, let your, your three-year-old daughter go out in the backyard and play in the mud. Yeah. You know, yeah. let her pull a worm out of the grass, let it break off in half, and then she can cry because she killed a worm because she broke it up. <laughs> yeah. Like, let that happen. Get dirty. And I think, I think what I was saying was, don't just take her for a walk. Yeah. Let there be process. Exactly. I love exactly. This. And kids are natural alchemists. They want to make potions, you know. They want to like see what happens when you mix and meld different substances and materials. And and I think this is again, it speaks to who we are as humans. It's it's processes. It's like what happens if I take you know that and that and put it together and boil it. And how do I steam bend this? And how do I put these two things together to make glue? And how but do I? But this is what we do all day uh, long as bushcrafters. Exactly, I mean, yeah. exactly. And I think that's the next step in a way of. Um, you know, work with kids and therapy and education is process. Let them go through it because I, I remember talking to my PhD mentor, not my supervisor, but as a sort of mentor, and her saying, you know, Lisa, what's the difference between nature as backdrop rather than nature as sort of intimate engagement? Mm-hmm. You know, we can all go to the woods and get drunk. Does that mean we're connecting to the natural world? You know, what do we mean when we say nature connection? We can connect <laughs> to our fellow friends and, and what have you, but it's not the same level of connection to nature. It might, might be none whatsoever. Well, you just use the word engagement. Yeah, as I said, hanging out with my 16-year-old buddies, drinking beer and, and smoking various things, uh, <laughs> our engagement was literally throwing our glass stubby beer bottles off into the bush to see who could hear it smash when it hits a rock. That yeah. was our engaging with nature. Yeah. Except for me, there was a side swipe of when they weren't there and the neck on the Sunday or whatever, I was looking at the ants yeah. crawling on a rock. Same location, same person, same era of my life, one day I'm there, that's not engagement, but I'm in it. The other day I'm there and I'm engaged with it. And that's, hold your thought, because that's what I want to say is I am all about, at the same time as we're talking about process, now I have to rectify this with my thought on free time in nature. And I think when I say free time in nature, I don't mean sitting and meditating. I mean engaging, process, yeah. watching the ants. And yeah. What were you going to say? Well, it's just picking up on two words that you used then. You said in and with. You know, so when you were in nature throwing bottles and when you were with nature mm. looking at ants. Did I say that by accident? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. You see, it's all in there, Les. <laughs> yes, no, it's a good it's a case, case in point. Your, your psyche recognizes yeah. that you were, that, or my psyche, I guess, recognizes yeah. in that moment. That's right. You're, we're, we're discussing the, the difference between, well, and where I was going with this, for example, I love, uh, you know, hey, ropes courses, fantastic. Yeah. But ropes courses is not really time in nature. No, it's not. You're using nature as your outdoor gym. Yeah. No offense to ropes courses, I love them. Yeah. But along with your ropes course on that weekend outers club thing, how about you just walk and sit somewhere yeah. and, and watch sit a bunch spot. of ants yeah. building? I think um, one of my colleagues uh, at the university, Chris Lyons, he wrote a paper which was brilliant where he, he talks about rope courses in particular. And he's in the outdoor studies department of the university and He's, he's the professor, you know, he's been, uh, he's been writing a long time. But he calls high ropes courses the McDonaldization of, <laughs> of the outdoors. Oh, that's good. <laughs> harsh? It is harsh, but good. I know. But good. No, I, I, that philo- I see what he's saying. Yeah. That analogy is ripe yeah. because that is, 
And, and if I may, we almost run the same risk with primitive earth skills and bushcrafting by being focused on the knife. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. We run the same risk and, and it's happening. And kit can be lovely. You know, we can all look at a beautiful teepee and go, oh, that's, that's gorgeous. That'd be lovely to live in there. But let's not fetishize it. You know, let's not make it the center of what we do. It's okay to have nice gear, if you've got, particularly if you've got family and so on, and to mm. romanticize nature and, and so on. That's all okay, but it would be awful to get into that situation where it's just about comparing what kit you've got or don't have or what have you. Whether or not you're wearing a bandana. Yeah. You know, whether or not you're wearing the, the leather strap on your, yeah. uh, you know, sort of thing. And that's why, like, even here, I've joked about it, you know, that I'm, I thought, you know what? I'm not going to put on my Fall Raven pants. I'm going <laughs> to stay in my blue jeans and my city yeah, t-shirt and just, and, then, and I was joking with somebody. Uh, I, I said, yeah, I said, now I pop because <laughs> I stand out because yeah. I don't, I'm not wearing the leather hat or anything like that. I think tonight in concert, I'll put my bandana on because it's uh -huh. like, it's like the Survivor Man super That's cape. Your, you know? Yeah, exactly. Your confidence bandana. Yeah. Not that you need confidence. Now I'm Survivor Man. <laughs> but, yeah. It really is. It's the Clark Kent but thing. But sometimes you, know? you do, don't you? Sometimes you've got to get character a bit because that's fun you know well, that's, and th fun that's right to it's not character. to deny that because yeah. certainly when you go out and you do primitive earth skills or you do bushcrafting skills it, it feels good to wear the garb to wear the uniform yeah and often there's a very practical part mm. of that and philosophically there was um there's a another anthropologist Paulson. he quite some time ago it's maybe 20 30 years ago did the study with fishermen, Icelandic skippers. And he talked about the distinction between skill and force. And he talked about fetishizing gear amongst fishermen. Um, I mean, these were trawlers, you know, they were going out. And what he discovered through talking to all these different skippers, the old boys, the new guys, the guys that came out of schooling, the guys that came out of apprenticeships. But one of the things that he discovered and wrote about was that guys who were just entering into the, the arena in practice were focused on what kind of hooks they had, what kind of gear they had, etc. Whereas the long timers, the old boys, he's like they barely had. The gear was rubbish, it was old, it was crappy. They didn't they could replace it. They didn't see the need to replace it because it wasn't about the gear. They knew where the fish were and they knew how to get to them. Whereas the new guys didn't know where the fish were and no matter how much gear they had, it didn't help them get more fish mm -hmm. because they didn't have the wisdom. It's um the Greeks talk about different types of knowledge and um, kind of newbie knowledge. It all has to start with training. It's, it's what they called episteme. And it's, you know, we teach always cut away from yourself with a knife. Never cut towards yourself unless you've been taught techniques to do it. Always do it like this, only ever do that, etc. And that's a training environment. But you should move out of that training environment and into a broader educational environment where the answers are it depends. There's no one answer to a question. It depends when, where you are, how you feel, what's the affordances mm -hmm. in the landscape, what's the possibilities. But eventually, it should end up in what the Greeks called phrenesis, which means practical wisdom. And that's what these old guys have. And I think it was Aristotle, Aristotle or Plato, that said, young people can't be wise because they just haven't had enough time. You know, it mm. takes time to get mm. to that point of wisdom. And I guess that's why elders were valued because they'd seen and done so much. Recorded live off the floor, as they say, all the musicians in one room at one time. This is from my album, Les Stroud and the Campfire Kings, Barn Sessions 3, Off the Grid. 
Well, that's a long album title. This is my song, Go Now. this stain away Years have come and gone Confusion stays He'll just want you I just need you Just go on your way this pain away Discoloration spreads across a weathered page I'm still bleeding and you're still needing Must it end this way Wash this stain away But I'm still bleeding And you're still needing Must it end this way Stop. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. And that, I mean, that speaks to what we were talking about earlier is, you know, you, you read Morris Kochansky's book on bushcraft and then you're teaching something yeah. a week later. The wisdom is not there. One of my favorite documentary films is called 20 Feet from Stardom. And in it, Sting makes a point. It says, you know, there's this idea that you can go on American Idol and be a star. Yeah. And the problem with that situation is you've bypassed the spiritual journey yeah. that it took to go from, in our case, first being taught the firebow to actually living by the firebow. There's a spiritual journey. And so what happens is, as he says it, your success is wafer thin. Perfect. That's such a brilliant... Leave it to sting. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we can adapt that to these skills, these yeah. you know primitive skills and the old men in their fishing boats versus the young upstarts. But that said... For all of this discussion, there are going to be the young uh, upstarts. Yeah, I don't don't want to... It is good as long as they learn to shelve arrogance and and, and place their confidence in the right place. Learn learn to develop and grow with... Learn to be learners. That's that's really crucial, actually. And and I suppose there's two points. One is just on that fetishization of skill. What Parsons said is when people don't move in their learning journey when they get stuck in talking about the profile of a knife blade, that's when it starts to become fetishized and unhealthy mm. and what have you, because the, the learning should move into applied. And that, that next step, that educational step, is what they call gnosis, which is rela- a relationship. So then he uses the example of musicians, that every time they pick up a guitar, they're entering that relationship, and in that relationship, they learn something new. But they can't learn it when they don't have the guitar in their hand. You know, they're not learning it by the guitar sitting in the corner. Or reading a book about guitars. Exactly, or reading a book about guitars. So, and that's the same with bushcraft. You know, you can't learn it by focusing on what kind of knife you have or what books you have or what have you. At the end of the day, you've got to go and apply it. And that is where the magic really is. That's where the alchemy is. That's where the hardship is. And that's where the learning is. In Morris Kochansky, the word legend has been bantered about constantly. We're all in his presence right now. And I interviewed him yesterday. And I actually didn't want him to talk about bushcraft. You know, we talked about his early life. And when he does get into, and on our panel discussion, you know, discussing these skills and things, you'll notice that he just automatically starts referencing 
like moments on the land. He's talking about children and outdoor education. He's all of a sudden he's got you by the side of a river gathering shales and stones and shells and plants. He's not talking in heady senses. Yeah. He's certainly not talking gear. He's ta- literally in, in in my case he was he was talking about getting an egg carton. Uh-huh. A couple of 7-year-olds and going to the river's edge and saying fill each hole with something different. Oh, brilliant. Right? Yeah. And then you go home and then you can discover what each of them are and you will do some book learning in that sense but yep. it started with, with the experience. process right the experience Perfect. the process yep. the hands yep. the kid had to bend down had to pick up and go what's this oh well let's go find out in fact it's a apiliated wood, woodpecker's chip yeah. because you're at the base of the tree and you can see the you know that was the other point learning how to learn so i think mm. that was what for me my entry into bushcraft which was really when i apprenticed ray I, I realized I was learning how to learn for the first time in my life. And I, that was, I realized it. This is learning. And this is what I think these skills can do. And education, as a university lecturer, I'm getting people come in and young people come in and are 18, 19 years old. And I have to teach them how to learn because the system has just shut them down. You sit there and we'll tell you what you need to know. And then you tick the right boxes, fill in the right answers. And you go to this textbook and you learn this and you write an essay about this. And then they get to university and we say, well, here's some ideas. What do you think about that? And it's just silence. Silence. Oh, man. So we literally have to teach them to have the confidence to think, to actually think and analyze and critique. Because they're they're not really asked to critique very much at, at a school level. You've got to accept and it makes people what's the word, sort of, there's an apathy with it. Mm-hmm. Whereas things like bushcraft and survival and primitive technology, it forces curiosity. You can't just sit there and, because nothing's going to come. You've got to go and find it. You've well, got then to go there's the battle it. against complacency because yeah. once you apply it and say, and now you're going to eat dinner tonight, that's all provided, and there's firewood and everything, but you've only got one way to get the fire going, and that's with your firebow. So now the complacency of the skill of firebow use is replaced by the need yeah. of that fire, yeah. that firebow use. That, I mean, that was something else I talked about in the presentation was friction fire was one of the other case studies that I did, and, and what was the motivation? And mm-hmm. I mean, in my early Korea, quite often I was at various shows and stuff demonstrating friction fire and I don't know how many times somebody walked up and said, do you need a mash? Do you need a lighter? Oh you know? my God, yeah. <laughs> and I think we've all experienced this. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it did used to make me think, yeah, what am I doing? And why am I doing this? And when I came to the PhD, that was still with me, that question of yeah, why are we doing this? And um, why bother? Here's a lighter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm interrupting you, yeah, but, but, but there's... Um, in line with this, I'm just sensing something. I was 30 years old. Uh, sorry, 35. The first time I experienced the joy of completion. So up until that point in my life, I'd never completed anything I started. Never completed anything. Now, yes, I'd become this, I'd become that. I'd become many things. In yeah. fact, I was a very experienced uh, survival instructor. I'd become many things, but I, I never felt like I completed anything, and here's the word, creatively. And that was when I actually produced my first documentary film, Snowshoes in Solitude, which then unleashed a whole different life for me in many ways. And this is it. When you talk about process and being in nature, there's our five senses, there's our experience, there's our forest bathing. Process, there's our touching the ground, the earth, the skills, the things we're doing. 
And then the final outcome is thriving, is living because of this process. To me, that is the final, the joy of completion. And that's what I would want, say, young people who are learning bushcraft skills to understand. There is an end goal here called completion. Yeah. Get to a point of feeling complete with these yeah. skills. Yeah, so you're going through a process and a difficult process with friction fire. It's not... It's not easy. <laughs> it, and it can take years to it learn. Can it took me years to, to feel, and I, I wouldn't even say now that I feel confident every time I go out into nature. And I haven't done it for, for several years, you know, just sort of walked out. And, but, you know, every time I go out, I'm going to get fire. It would be foolish to think that, uh, you know. All these other very highly skilled people at this yeah. Bushcraft Symposium have the same, they'll admit the same thing. David Halliday, whom we, you know, we know and love, and one of yes. my mentors, if, if I say, go make a fire, he'll go, yeah. okay, I'll try. Yeah. And he knows it might not happen. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it teaches, uh, these processes teaches us things like humility. So when I did my research into Friction Fire and I put out a, a questionnaire and hundreds and hundreds of people responded, which was fantastic, and wrote lots of stuff in there, one of the questions was, what do you consider bushcraft skills? Uh, and I think I asked them to give me three examples. And I was expecting Friction Fire, knife use, shelter, shelter building, building yeah. foraging, you know, these kinds of things. And at least 50%, I can't remember what the percentage was, but it was at least 50% came back and said, humility, patience, observation. Yeah, I was stunned. I was oh, absolutely Oh, I couldn't have stunned. guessed that. I couldn't have guessed that. I didn't expect that at all. And I was really like, what? You know, first of all, I thought, oh God, no, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> and then I thought, oh wow, this is really interesting. So bushcraft skills to people are inequalities to a lot of people. And even those who wrote fire shelter building, probably if you spoke to them and interviewed them, they would very soon be, and this is what I found, you know, they would very soon mention particular qualities. And it would be tenacity, humility, observation. Wow. Mm. You are, I did not expect that. You just said a great f quote that I hope you keep saying, which is, <laughs> You know, bushcraft skills are inner skills. Yeah. That's powerful. That's really good. Yeah. I never thought, that. I've never put that together. Yeah. But that's what I talk about all the time. Yes, And that's exactly. summarized right there. Yeah. And I, I don't want to commandeer too much more of your time. So what I'd like you to do is, I'm assuming, again, not being a person of academia, that all great <laughs> theses, 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 I. <laughs> what is the plural of thesis? <laughs> thesis? I think it's just thesis. Okay, thesis. <laughs> all great theses require a... A conclusion. In, in like, you know, three sentences or less, what was your conclusion? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> On the spot. Um, the, the conclusion was about that it is an inner thing and that it speaks to the development of humans and that going forwards, there's a huge arena that we should be associating with bushcraft skills around skill in connection to nature. You know, this isn't skills just in a workshop, this is directly out there in connection to nature. Um, develops inequalities in people as well as external skills. And that these things could be really useful in the world of health, well-being, and education. And there was something I was gonna to add to that. That's kind of it. But there was something I was gonna to add to it and it's just gone. That's really annoying. <laughs> Academic do you want to go read your thesis? Exactly. But I think, in a nutshell, that's that's what it got to. In today's oh, the other context was in today's world of environmental crisis, that relationship with the natural world that simultaneously develops the person. Surely, 
is something we can't ignore. And when we have this thing that we call bushcraft and survival skills and primitive technologies, which all you know, share similarities, they're in the same family. When we have this, we should be utilizing it because these things speak directly to our own indigenous knowledge and our own feeling of indigeneity in, in a landscape and our feeling of belonging. And if we want to care about something, we need to feel we belong to it. So, yeah, I think that's probably the conclusion in a few more sentences than three. <laughs> well, with, uh, with the sun on us and the wind blowing and the dandelions fluffing up beside us, and the, the wind blowing across your microphone at times and all of that, I'm actually defeating what I was about to say, which is I'm leaving you with the last word. But, <laughs> so, thank you. Thanks, Les. It's been a pleasure. I have always maintained that my not-so-hidden agenda, if you will, my underlying mission of producing the series Survivor Man, was to connect people to nature. The survival skills and the skills called bushcraft, as well as primitive technology, were always truly only one thing for me. Facilitation. They were simply a way to get you interested in nature again. Sure, you might go out to survive while taking some course, and you might get excited about building shelters and fire starting and tanning hides and making bows and arrows. But all of those skills force you to slow down and touch the earth in ways you had perhaps never done before. In truth, I could care less if you ever learned how to do the firebow. I just care that you get out and fall in love with the natural world, with nature, with animals, with trees, with insects, with fish, with the rain and the snow, with the wind and the stillness. If you do, and this I can promise, it will change your life for the better. Keith Ullman doesn't know how to do a firebow, but he sure knows how to engineer this podcast. The Apostrophe Podcast Network doesn't hold classes in shelter building, but they sure know how to provide wonderful content. Stick around, everyone. We'll figure this life out. Together. Oh, wait, hang on. My new series, Wild Harvest, is airing now on American Public Television. Check to see which station's signal reaches your area. And that includes, by the way, Canada. It's all about local foraging. I take you out and teach you what you can gather for a wild edible feast. A feast prepared by a five-star chef, Paul Rogalski. As well, head over to my YouTube channel, Survivor Man Dash Les Stroud, where I'm uploading tons of free content weekly for you to enjoy including archives, Survivor Man, Survivor Man Bigfoot, director's commentaries, and new music, just to mention a bit of what's there. The secret, by the way, is to click on the playlists. Lastly, and in time for Christmas, the second printing of my 20th anniversary film collection, featuring 76 films, is available through my website, lesstroud.ca. Okay, thanks. Go ahead. What are you waiting for? Click on subscribe and then click on something else. Or, go be productive. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 